Please find your seats and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. This morning we're going to continue our journey in 1 Peter 3. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12. Have you ever been involved in a conversation, a a dialogue, maybe even a monologue where you're receiving information and you get to the point in a conversation, you just want to blurt out and say, so what's your point? Uh, What are you getting at? What are you trying to say? There's a lot of information here. Can you narrow it down for me so I can put my arms around it? And can you sum it up for me uh, in this conversation? Well, This is exactly what Peter is going to do for us this morning. As we've made our way through 1 Peter, Peter begins by painting a picture of who we are, sinners like us, but who we are in Christ, and it's an incredible picture. It's a a masterpiece that only Christ Jesus himself could paint. But as he tells us things like that we're chosen and that we're a royal priesthood and that we're a holy nation and that we are a people belonging to God, he turns the corner and he's now saying, now here's what we are supposed to do. And we've been looking at for this last several weeks that God has called us to submit to all authority, first and foremost to him, to the ultimate authority, but that we please him by submitting to the authority that God has placed around us. Just last week, he told us, God's word told us, that we are to even suffer. Suffer as Christ has suffered, has given us an example that the way home for us Christians, it's not going to always be easy. And the good life for Christians includes tears and trial and suffering. But there's such good news. That we don't suffer in vain. And there's one who suffers with us. Now Peter's going to get to the point. Now he says, now here's the point. I'm going to tell you the point of all this. I'm going to sum it all up for you. And he's going to tell us some very important things. First of all, he's going to tell us this. How we are to live in community. God has set a love on a particular people. Although there's some individual reality about God's love that has changed us individually, that makes us a new creation, that gives us individually new life. But he's never called us just to be an individual. He's called us to be a part of a body, to be a part of a community, to be a part of the church, to be a part of the bride of Christ. What a privilege is ours. And today, he's going to tell us, here's how you're supposed to treat one another. So we begin with that, with an exhortation. As we here at Orangewood have been striving to build a community, to be a family. And this he's going to give us some exhortation of how it is for us to be a family in a way that honors God. He's also going to tell us, here's the point. Here's how you're supposed to live your life in a world that doesn't like you. In a world that is hostile toward Christians, how are we supposed to respond to uh, the world's abuse and the world's insults and the world's evil? How are we to defend ourselves? We'll see that point as well. And Peter is going to call us to God's word and he's going to remind us this is the good life. If you're here this morning wrestling with what is the good life, are you on that pursuit? All of us are. God's word, once again, will tell us what that good life is and what it looks like according to God's holy word. So let's read it together. Let's read God's word in 1 Peter chapter 3, looking again at verses 8 through 12. Peter writes, 
to sum up, or basically, here's the point. Listen up. All of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Now Peter is going to quote Psalm 34. He's already quoted Psalm 34. Reggie mentioned it earlier that we get to taste and see that the Lord is good. Also in Psalm 34, he's now going to quote and give us a, a picture of the good life. For the one who desires life to love and see good days. Isn't that what it's all about? Don't each of us here desire life? To have good days and to love? God's word says this, we must keep our tongues, keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil or basically don't lean into evil and do good. He must seek peace And pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let us pray. Oh, Father God. As we sung this morning. That we need you every hour. Oh God, it is such the truth for this preacher. Oh Father God, how I need you this morning to come and deliver a blessing to me so that I can be a blessing to your people, so that I could be an instrument of your word. Oh God, left on my own, to my own abilities, Father God, I will lead your people astray. So for the glory of Christ, for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, Father, I pray that you would come with power through your Holy Spirit and the preaching of your word and be pleased to use this broken vessel to speak truth. Father, would you open up our ears so that we can hear from you? And Father, would you open up our minds so that we can understand your word? Father, would you open up our hearts and make them pliable to receive your truth and to love it and to embrace it? And may our heart beat in a manner worthy of the gospel. And may our feet walk in light of the gospel, in light of your truth. Father, these are difficult times and your people must respond to your truth. There must be a difference in our lives and the lives of those who do not know you. So Father, come with power and speak. The things that are said that are true and contain the good news of Jesus Christ, would you use those things? to make us more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And the things that I say that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. We pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy and great challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a weekend that as a nation we celebrate our freedom and all of the celebration that comes with a 4th of July celebration and By the way, uh, come out tonight. We would love to have you uh, come back as a church family. As I uh, was singing and worshiping with you and I looked around, I thought, what a joy it is that I can say, come back tonight and I want to see you. 
Have you ever gone to a family event and not want to be there? I mean, I don't know about your family, but sometimes my family, I'm looking around thinking, am I a part of this crew? And uh, do I really want to be here? But by God's grace, uh, I do have a very blessed family. And this family here, uh, what an incredible blessing it is to be a part of you, Orangewood. So let's come together tonight and celebrate our freedom. But really, the freedom that we celebrate, and we're so thankful for the men and women, as Reggie mentioned, that have gone before us, that have laid their lives down so we can gather like this and worship. But this table proclaims a greater freedom, a freedom from sin, a freedom to experience God's peace and love in Christ Jesus. So today, it's a twofold celebration. One, it's a celebration of, yes, we live in a country that provides us with freedom. But really, as well, we come together as a family around this table. And we celebrate. It's weekends like this where I have two of my favorite things together. Food and family. Not necessarily in that order. And again, as a church family, we're going to have both this, the Lord's table, food and family celebrating together. But for there to be really joy, for us to be able to enjoy this to the fullest, we've got to have peace. We've got to love one another. You know what it's like to be in a family where there's no peace? Have you sat at a dinner, the dining room table, or, or around a, a meal together where in a family where there was no peace? It's not much fun, is it? Have you been a part of a church family where there wasn't much peace? I know at times even here, we've had some dissension and strife. So let's celebrate together that we can come around as a family and celebrate in unity. And the only way that we can celebrate in unity, the only way that we can truly uh, love one another is to look to God's word and to build a community together. In verse 8, the first thing we're going to see is this, the call to live in harmony. Again, Peter says this, to sum it all up or to get right to the point. And the first thing is, be harmonious. Live in unity with one another. Basically, have one mind. Interesting, uh, we prayed this morning for First Pres downtown, and the PCUSA is also having their general assembly. Last week I came and I reported to you some good news that we had ours, and it was pretty uneventful. If you look at some of the churches in our community, in our country, and you look at some of the issues that they're wrestling with, you can see that there's not much peace, and there's not much unity. And someone forwarded me a a copy of a letter from David Swanson that he wrote to his congregation as he was sitting in General Assembly and watching to see what was happening in the PCUSA. And I loved his pastoral's heart. and I loved the way he wrote to his people saying, we here at this church at First Pres downtown, we are going to stand up for truth and we are going to stand up to God's word. And I sent him an email and said, David, you go, man, you're a warrior for Christ. But he talked about a debate that they were about ready to have on the floor, a very big debate that's going to shape their church, their denomination. And he said the only thing they appealed to was this, have an open mind. Have an open mind. All of us need to have open minds. Pastor Swanson was so disheartened, there wasn't an appeal to Scripture. There wasn't the appeal to have the mind of Christ our Savior. You see, Christian, God's word has called us and he's made us as a body. God has made us a body of many different parts, many different pieces of this body. Very unique. You have your own gifts and abilities. But he's called us together to sing on the same page, to be harmonious, to live in harmony. And God doesn't tell us to come into the church doors and to leave all of our differences behind. No, celebrate the reality that God has made you unique. He has given you 
your gifts and abilities, but he's called us to have not, listen, not an open mind. He's called us to have a like mind. He's called us to have one mind, to have one passion. Orangewood, we have one God. Orangewood, we have one Savior. There is one Holy Spirit. He has called us together as one church, as one people of God. And he has called us for one purpose, to glorify him and to celebrate the reality that he lives and that we are his. That is our one purpose, to live for Christ and his kingdom. We're to have one mind. How do you have one mind? I mean, how do we come in here as Republicans and Democrats? How do we come in here for, as Northerners, thank God, and those from the South? How do we come in here with different backgrounds? Just finally got that, huh? Uh, and have one mind. We've got to be in God's Word. I had lunch today, uh, this last week, with a uh, had lunch today. It would not surprise you, would it, if I said I had lunch today and it's 1122. And it was good. I had lunch this week with one of the officers in our church, and, and he gave me one of the greatest compliments he could give me. He said, you know, I just love the fact that we're just going right through God's word, and, and you're not stopping to, to, to cherry pick some current events, but you're giving us God's word, and, and, and every week we just open it up, we're going to get right to it. Why? Because this is God's holy and errant word. As, as Chuck Green, when he preaches, says, this is the only perfect thing we have in this worship service. And for us to have one mind, to allow us to live in harmony, we've got to be in God's word. We've got to know what it says. Listen, this church has got to stand there. Look what's happened around us. Look, look at our, our, our denominations in this country that are struggling, that are wrestling. Why? Because they have let go. And they said it's more important to have an open mind than one mind. And God has called us to have one mind together, to feed upon God's word, to live in harmony. And really, again, to live in harmony, it's a call for us to live in community. It's a call to us to lock arms. Christian, Christ didn't come just so you could have this little walk home with Jesus. He's come to save you so that you will be a part of this body, so that you will be a part of the church, so that you will experience Christ in community. Therefore, it's important for us to continue to be in our small groups, in a C2 group. Not only live in harmony, uh, be harmonious, but also be sympathetic. It's really this. It's sharing the same emotions. It's basically God's call to us saying, I want you to not lead with judgment, but I want you to lead with sympathy. I want you to laugh with those who laugh. I want you to mourn with those who mourn. I want you to embrace the feelings of the community. In this room right here, in this body called Orangewood, there's a range of emotions There's people who are going through some very, very, very dark trials, whether in their marriages or in their health or financially. And there's people here who are just right now, life is good. And he says, as a community, come together and experience those feelings with one another. Weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. The only way we can be sympathetic is if we know one another. And we're connected to one another. And we are loving one another. It does require for us to be close to know one another's joys. It does require us to do something more than just come here on a Sunday morning and leave to really know one another's sorrows. To experience their successes and failures. And I love the reality. It's this. Here's what he says to us. Be harmonious. Sing on the same page. Be harmonious. Be of like mind. And be sympathetic. 
You know when we hurt for one another? It's really hard to judge one another. It, when, I, when I'm feeling your feelings and I'm experiencing your pain, it really it puts me on that level where I should be as your brother right next to you, not as someone above you judging, well, what, look what you got yourself into. Why did you go and do that? I love the reality that puts us and pulls us together. It says for us to be brotherly, or this is the word we get again, Philadelphia, uh, brotherly love. Listen, where God is truly known, where God is known as Father, where God is known as Father, a true brotherhood exists. You call the creator of heaven and the earth the mighty God Father? Do you cry out to him, Abba? Are you able to have that intimacy that comes with a relationship with him? Oh, the joy. Oh, the life. Oh, the delight. If so, the ones next to you who are worshiping that father, that truly is your brother. In Orangewood, we can't love what we don't know. And again, it's a call. It's a call to to community. It's a call to to love one another uh, as God has created us. It says then for us to be kind-hearted. Kind of a difficult word. Uh, This word to be translated in English, it really really means to have good intestines. Uh, Really, uh, a thought that most of the emotional seat was here uh, in the intestines. And it basically was saying, experience one another's pain. Be tender-hearted, be compassionate, be loving. When someone is hurting, don't just say, hey, I hope everything works out. Hey, I'm going to pray for you. But enter into their pain. May it hurt your gut as you see those who are hurting. God has called us to be a family and to show brotherly love and to be kind-hearted, to be full of pity. And lastly, in this verse 8, is to be humble in spirit. To be humble in spirit. To do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, true humility, to consider others better than ourselves. To consider their needs more important than us. God has called us, Christian, to love one another in humility. To lead with their interests more important for us than our own. You know, we could look at these lists and we say, That's, you know, Jeff, is this a moral exercise? Is this okay? Uh, Paul, Peter's going to summarize all this up for us, and he's going to give us these things to do. But I want you to see the face of your Savior through all of this. Because in reality, Christian, this is the way Jesus has loved us. And this is the way he has sacrificed for us. And this is a reflection of who he is. He cares about this community. He cares about the way we treat one another. It begins here. The world wants to look in here at this church and say, oh, they just just fight. They, They can't get along. What has Christ done to really bring them together? And I love the reality, Orangewood, that God's spirit is moving here. I think this is an incredible place of care. From the pastors and the elders and the deacons uh, to the leaders to our women's ministry. But may we do more and more for the glory of Christ. Well, God has called us to live in harmony with one another. But what about the world? If you look again at verse 9. Verse 9 says this. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. I think when uh, Peter 
was writing these words, he probably was thinking about a sermon he heard from Jesus way back that Matthew records for us in Matthew chapter 5. A sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus himself says in Matthew 5 verse 43. For you have heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same. God's Word is calling us, and Jesus Himself was preaching that we need to love our enemies. That we do not need to return evil for evil. I love the way Paul uh, records this in Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. Pick up in verse 14. Really kind of 9 through 13. Emphasize Peter's first point. And gets to verse 14 in, in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind. There it is again. Be of the same mind to one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Revenge. Said that revenge is best served cold. I don't know about you, but sometimes revenge makes the absolute most entertaining movie you've ever seen. Is that not true? I mean, uh, when someone's done wrong and the rest of the movie unfolds and the entire plot is getting back, uh, getting justice, justice is served, maybe a a movie like Munich. And then you look to God's word And God's word says, no, revenge is not to be served. And that is what we naturally want to do. If you are insulted, uh, if you uh, have evil thrown at you, what is natural for us is to throw it right back, is to lash out. But God's word says, don't. I have something else for you, Christians. Do not return evil for evil. Our society would say, that may be wimpy. That we're supposed to sit there and grin and bear it. Good news, Christian. We're not just supposed to grin and bear it. As a matter of fact, many Eastern religions say that's what they should do. Is that evil comes in, they're to absorb that. To be stoic. To not show emotion. To not deflect evil and give evil back. Christian, God's word does not call us to do that. He calls us not to stoically receive evil. He calls us to return evil with a blessing. To those who insult us, to build them up. To bless, to lift up their name, 
to be positive, to build up. What an incredible challenge. How in the world are we able to do this? How are we able to be insulted? How are we able to receive evil? And then in return, bless. Only if we know who we are in Christ. Only if if we know the blessings we've already received in Jesus. Only if if we really realize that God is God. That vengeance is His. That we don't have to pay back evil. Our Father in Heaven sees His eyes are on the righteous. He knows us. And He loves us. And His arm of justice will not be thwarted. We don't have to seek after revenge. God's called to seek peace. And to seek mercy. And to seek love. God calls us, Christian, to receive an insult and to give a blessing. What an incredible challenge. You know what? For me, it's usually like this. Someone wants to insult me. What I want to say, hey, well, you have yourself a very good day. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that categorizes as a blessing, you know? <laughs> and that's often my response. You know, maybe I'll smile and grit my teeth and say something, but even by the inflection of my voice and in my heart, it's not a blessing. What a challenge it is for me. What a challenge it is for us. We are going to be insulted individually. He's in as a church. They're going to ridicule us. They're not going to understand what we're doing. And God's called us, listen, lead with love, lead with mercy, and give a blessing instead. To bless our enemies. What an incredible challenge. And lastly, it's the call to live the good life. Verses 10 through 12. And again, Peter here quotes Psalm 34, 12 through 16. You can break these verses down into two sections. In verse 10, it's the good life in word. He says this, keep your tongue from evil. Basically, Christian, here's what God's word is saying. Don't slander your neighbor. Don't speak ill of your neighbor. Keep your tongue from evil. Not only that, uh, keep your lips from speaking deceit or duplicity. Last year we looked through James and we realized what a difficult task it is for all of us to tame the tongue. But also not just in word, but in deed. Turn away from evil. Don't even lead, learn, lean that way and do good. And I love what it says after that. Look again with me. At the end of verse 11. We must seek peace and pursue it. You know what hit me with this? It's more than just simply receiving peace when it's accepted to us. It's more than basically just saying, let's embrace peace when someone comes with a peace offering. It's a challenge. It's a call. It basically says this. We are to seek peace and pursue and run and and use all of our energies to pursue peace with one another. Is there a brother or sister that you're alienated from here today? God's word says that the priority of peace among the brethren is so great that even before you bring your offering, that we should have peace with one another. Christian, the responsibility is ours. Are there those in your family that even on this 4th of July celebration remind you that you're not at peace with? Are there those in your workforce, those in your community? God has challenged us, Christian, not to lay back and wait for them to take the first step. Not to offer peace if they offer it to us. But he says, Christian, because God the Father has set a love upon us that's eternal, that he would send his Son to come and to give us peace. Because God himself has sought out peace. And pursued it. And we are now embracing that by His grace. Christian, He's called us to seek and pursue peace. 
Who's God putting on your heart even now that you are not at peace with? That person you wanted to shove out of your mind. The person who says, listen, they don't deserve my peace. They don't deserve. I've done enough. God will understand. He's seen what they have done and what they've said. God is calling us to seek peace. I love the reality of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says this. Here are God's people in captivity in Babylon. You know what he tells them? He tells them to seek the peace of the city that they are living in. To build houses. To make a living. To seek the community peace. That's our call. Our call, Christian, our call right here at Orangewood is to seek the peace of our community. To seek its welfare. To promote its health. Because God's word says this, as the community is blessed, so we will be blessed. That's one of our challenges, Orangewood. We're peacekeepers in the name of Christ. That's why we are not only building a community, we're trying to build a community to reach our community with the good news of Christ. As you join this church, you said, I promise to support this church to the best of your ability. And you promise to study the peace and purity of the church. For a church to function as God has intended it to function, there must be harmony. There must be like mind. And there must be peace. Peace in Christ and peace with one another. Peace in our families. Peace with our neighbors. And it's our responsibility to pursue after it. Be of good cheer, my brothers and sisters. It's Jesus who pursued after peace for us so that we could have peace with the Father through the Son. How do we do all this? I mean, how do we be harmonious? How do we love one another? How do we seek peace and pursue it? This is more than a moralistic message. In closing, it's a reminder, who are we? We're God's people. God has chosen us. He has set His Holy Spirit upon us and in us. We are His. We truly, He'll never change His mind about us. His love will never let us go. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's own possession. We're His. And so now He's called us to love Him freely and to love one another in His name and to advance His kingdom because of the way He has loved us. Today we come and we are mindful of His love for us. And today we come and we feed upon Christ afresh in spirit. And we grow in Him. And we grow in Him and so that we can live in a manner worthy of the Gospel. And this is only possible because of the power of the cross. Let us pray. Father God, I thank You for a love that would pursue us. And give us life. And now as Peter has summarized for us our call to love one another in community. Our call to bless a community that wants to curse us. And our call to truly love you and to have the good life by pursuing your face. God, I thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans. That as your son ascended, his spirit came. And that this meal is a reminder that we could feed upon you. And oh, the power of the cross that has taken away our sins and has washed us white as snow so that we can experience your love and your presence. We thank you in Christ's powerful name. Amen.